Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We're brought to you today by Lending Club. Right now, go to LendingClub.com slash martini. You can get your rate checked in minutes, and you can borrow up to $40,000, LendingClub.com slash martini. Jim, today is Mueller time here in Washington. Uh, testimony up on Capitol Hill. We will be getting to it officially in our crazy martini. Um, we thought about going wall-to-wall Mueller, but then we actually watched the hearings, and um, a lot of it appears to be things we've already known. So we're going to start with some general observations here. Uh, the first thing that I noticed was that uh, the Democrats did a good job of doing their homework and realizing that Mueller's answer to pretty much every question was going to be, I refer you to the report, which then gives them the opportunity to read directly from the report. And there's some pretty nasty stuff about Trump's uh, efforts to potentially uh, derail the investigation in uh, volume two of the report. So this basically turned into a dramatic reading because Mueller basically is sticking to everything that's in the report. Republicans trying to go broader with uh, the origins of the original investigation and so forth. But uh, Bob Mueller asking people to repeat questions and... (laughs) And saying you can't really answer that seems to be the order of the day. Look, if, if this was the slam dunk that Democrats were expecting, I think they're probably disappointed. A lot of what most of us who paid attention were expecting. Volume two is not particularly flattering to the president, but I don't really see how this will change public viewpoints. The Democrats really seem to believe that hearing Mueller say what was in the report would change public opinion in a way that the report's release itself did not change. So far, it hasn't happened. Maybe if you want to see real news, you know, at one point, Steve Chabot said to Mueller, when you talk about the firm that produced the Steele dossier, the name of the firm that produced that was Fusion GPS. Is that correct? And Mueller actually said, I'm not familiar with that. I think it's safe to say that Mueller is not. He's 74 years old. I was making the observation, this is probably the last time we're going to see him in public life. He has not been a guy who likes to do interviews or, or you know, plays to the cameras or, or anything like that. Not quite the, you know, authoritative Tommy Lee Jones, you know, lawman that some folks had expected during this whole process. What we're getting is mostly the report. The report, I believe, has been kind of digested by the body politic, so to speak. But uh, and a lot of people probably like to continue that biological metaphor. But the general gist is I think we're getting what we're getting now for what it's worth. You and I are having this conversation shortly after noon. It's possible that later in the day there'll be some other bombshell. And by the time people hear this there'll be some big change. But so far, Greg, I'm not counting on it. A lot of his answers today so far, Greg, have been, yes, that is correct. (laughs) I refer you to the report. Okay, I'm going to read from your report. Is that what you said? If it's in the report, I stand by it. That's pretty much uh, all it is. So Bob Mueller is really playing a supporting role in his own hearing today uh, as we look at it. So anyway, on to our good martini officially and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Frequent, frequent uh, presence in the good martini, of course, <laughs> from her, all of her very conservative decisions. But no, she's uh, pretty much the most reliably liberal on the court, and there are pretty much four of those. But she did an interview with uh, Nina Totenberg of NPR, and they covered a lot of ground. But the one that's getting attention on the Free Beacon and some other places is Ruth Bader Ginsburg responding to the idea from some Democratic presidential candidates 
that there ought to be more than nine justices on the U.S. Supreme Court. Their argument basically is is that the Obama was robbed uh, the opportunity to replace Antonin Scalia. Mitch McConnell was dastardly in keeping that seat open, and so Neil Gorsuch is in there, and then of course the predator Brett Kavanaugh is in there, and so we've got to we've got to add more seats in order to balance this this whole thing out. But uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg not having any of it. Two clips here. Here's the first. There is no fixed number in the Constitution. So this court has had as few as five, as many as 10. Nine seems to be a good number, and it's been that way for for a long time. I have heard that there are some people on the Democratic side who would like to increase the number of judges. I think that was a bad idea when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to pack the court. And as Ginsburg uh, pointed out, that Roosevelt wanted to add a justice for every justice already on the court who was over 70 years old, so it would have immediately gone up to 15 justices. So she says that's a terrible idea. And she also says that the idea of adding justices to reduce partisanship is ridiculous. You mentioned before... um, the court appearing partisan. Well, if anything would make the court appear partisan, it would be that. One side saying, when we're in power, we're going to enlarge the number of judges, so we will have more people who will vote the way we want them to. So I am not at all in favor of that solution to what I see as... um, a temporary situation. Temporary situation. So, Jim, uh, for someone who interprets the Constitution so incorrectly on a regular basis, she at least has great respect for the institution. We can appreciate that. Yeah, I suppose if there's a downside to this good martini, Greg, it's that if there is a Democratic president and we are arguing about whether there should be additional justices named to the court, the odds that Ruth Bader Ginsburg won't be around to repeat this argument are probably pretty good. In fact, her departure from the court is probably going to set off another furious round of partisan fights in the Senate and stuff like that. Having said that, the fact that she's saying this indicates that there are some Democrats out there, and my suspicion is also, more importantly, Democratic legal minds who look at this and see this would look like really transparent effort to work around a long established tradition. She's right that it doesn't put a number in the constitution. I do think if you saw a serious push for court packing, you would probably see a constitutional amendment attempting to limit the number of justices to a set number could go forward. And by the way, I think from that, you probably also might also see a push for term limits for Supreme court justices. So you don't have a circumstance in which you've got Ruth Bader Ginsburg in her 90s, and everyone wondering whether she's going to hold on long enough until a new Democratic presidency. I think for all of our disagreements with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and they are many, she kind of recognizes that this increased partisanship around the court, polarization of the court, politicization of the court, all of this is kind of ending the traditional role the court had kind of had in American life. We saw John Roberts talking about himself as the umpire, the referee, balls and strikes. Because they're not accountable to elections, Justices really have to be, and they're, they're obviously it's you know extremely difficult and rare to see a justice to the Supreme Court get beached. That by and large, if you're a judge, you kind of have an obligation to one, stay true to the Constitution, and two, to not necessarily you don't want to get too political. You don't want to get into a situation where you're weighing in on every uh, 
political controversy of the day. Obviously, there's a great deal of symbolism around the Supreme Court. They're among the most powerful people in the country, and that there are a bunch of justices who you could probably walk past on the street and not know who they are, although I think that that era is slowly starting to come to an end. The justices kind of enjoyed this above-the-partisan-fray reputation, and court packing or additions like this are probably going to make them destroy whatever is left of that reputation. So it's a rare situation. You and I agree with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But uh, in addition to, you know, saying what she, she thinks, and I think it was the right position, it takes a little bit of courage on her part to come out and tell Democrats something they probably don't want to hear. Yeah, good for her. Thank you, RBG. I'm sure the left is loving you today. Although, Jim, uh, given the stories we're hearing about how the Senate Democrats are warming up to the idea of killing the filibuster, if in fact they ever make it back to the majority in the 2020 elections, I don't know that uh, this step would be a heck of a lot further than that. What do you think? No, I was going to say, look, I, I, it may very well be that the moment you, you could point to your, you know, whether you think it's Roe versus Wade, whether you think it's any of the other really high stakes, Obergefell, any of the big high stakes decisions they've made in recent years, that this sense of the court being above politics was never going to happen. That as long as people were going to turn to the politics to sort out the biggest and most contentious and most, you know, anger-inducing political topics of our time, inevitably we would start to see judges as political figures. And, you know, we, even on this podcast, we'll talk about Republican judges and Democrat judges, when in fact, I think most judges would like to say, no, I'm not, you know, loyal to a party of either side. My job is just to call them as I see them. Yeah, that used to be more common. I wish we could get back to that, too. So uh, maybe we can dream for that, too. But while we're looking for that, let's talk about debt. If you're carrying revolving debt, that means you're not paying off your card every month. And if that's the case, you could be paying thousands in interest every year that you do not have to. With Lending Club, you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed-rate personal loans. No more trips to the bank, no more high-interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com, tell them about yourself and about how much you want to borrow, pick the terms that are right for you, and if you're approved, your loan will be automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with more than $35 billion in loans issued. Right now, go to LendingClub.com slash Martini. You can check your rate in minutes and borrow up to $40,000. That's LendingClub.com slash Martini. LendingClub.com slash Martini. All loans made by WebBank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. All right, Jim, I can tell you one person who probably doesn't have a debt problem, and that is Tom Steyer. He is the multi-billionaire <laughs> who has uh, frequently been a high-profile donor to Democratic candidates and liberal causes, particularly the environment. And now he is, I think, what are we at, 25 left in this race now for the Democratic presidential nomination? Somewhere around there. But he's gotten in after saying earlier in the year that he wouldn't. And a lot of Democrats aren't very happy about this. Politico has the story today. Here's an excerpt. Uh, basically quoting different Democrats who are upset that Steyer is running for president. Don Beyer, congressman, Democrat, Virginia. You're congressman, I believe. Quote, it's very difficult for me to see the path for Tom Steyer to be a credible candidate, said Beyer, who has endorsed Pete Buttigieg. Quote, so yes, I would rather he spend his money taking back the Virginia House, the Virginia Senate, and supporting people who can win. Doug Jones, Democratic Senator, Alabama. I wish he wouldn't do it, especially at this late date, said Jones, who has endorsed former Vice President Biden. Things are set, except for those who are going to drop out. Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio observed that Steyer is basically 
another white guy in the race, albeit a wealthy one who is a major progressive player. Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia was mostly perplexed by the wealthy Californian's entry. When asked about it, I kind of wonder why. So, Tom Steyer, here's the message from Democrats. Get out of the race and start writing us more checks. (laughs) Right? Uh, Don Beyer used to be my congressman or used to be that congressional district. Now I'm in Jerry Connolly's district. I don't know, I'll let you decide whether that's much of an improvement. <laughs> also, I, this was this was all just an attempt to get Steyer and Beyer in the same story, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. And Meyer and Geyer and Fire at you. <laughs> so, look, what's delightful about this is you've got Democratic congressmen on the record complaining about a progressive donor. Who at some point they're probably going to want more money. <laughs> at some point they're probably going to, you know, hey, remember what I remember back in uh, July 2019 when I said you shouldn't run and I said you were just another white guy and all that. So hey, forget, let's let's put all that aside. Let's forget all. Let's let bygones be bygones. I could use a check. No, it is a fair gripe that Tom Steyer does not bring a lot to this race that anybody else doesn't have other than money. I mean, Steyer put a huge amount of money into promoting climate change activism and all that stuff. I think you can, you know, fairly wonder how much bang he got for his buck, considering the amount of money he spent. He spent the last year, really like about the first, you know, almost the first two years of Trump's presidency promoting impeachment. Uh, we saw the vote by Al Green uh, left well, last week, got 95 votes. I think you can fairly ask, wonder whether that really has uh, gained much traction. And now he's spending his money on a presidential campaign. So as much as we on the right might say, ah, oh, you know, liberal donors, they send, you know, they have so much money to spend. I mean, Steyer might be a guy who really doesn't allocate his resources in a particularly cost-effective way. Um, he gets a lot of headlines for spending the money, and it's not like nothing's been done on climate change. It's not like nothing, you know, I, you, know you can argue how much uh, he advanced the cause of impeachment or something. But when it comes to, you know, like really cost effective and on the nose uh, spending, I think it's kind of fair to wonder whether, you know, in the end, Tom Steyer spends a lot of money and doesn't get a heck of a lot to show for it. Yeah, two things here. First of all, Steyer has said that his candidacy isn't going to change what he planned to donate for candidates and causes. So if that's the case, I'm not sure what the problem is. He's not qualifying at this point for any debate stages. It's like being mad that Wayne Messam or uh, Joe Sestak is in this race. Why are you here when he's not even a blip on the radar screen at this point? So that's a weird part. And uh, what do you make of the fact that they dumped race into this? First of all, it just reflects the race obsessiveness of the uh, uh, Democratic Party. You know, in, in the end, like th- th- this is the sort of thing where usually you'd, you'd expect somebody to, to gently aside and say, you know, look, Tom, we'd love you, but this is probably not the right course of action for you. I've assumed some version of that, that message was sent through and it, you know, didn't really communicate. I think that's kind of the reflection of when you reach a Tom Steyer level or maybe even a, a Howard Schultz level or something like that. You know, there's really nobody who other than maybe your wife who you could say, no, I have nothing to do with this. You know, this is a bad idea. You really shouldn't do it. It's going to be a waste of money. Do other things with your life. You know, there's probably nobody around Tom Steyer to say, this is a bad idea. You're not going to go anywhere. You're jumping in too late. Um, you know, you're going to be the next Eric Swalwell, and, you know. Greg, who wants to be that? (laughs) One is too many. Absolutely right. So uh, Tom Steyer, now you know who your friends are or who you thought they were. We'll see how the candidacy goes from here. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini. Now, we had two out of three that were good today, Jim. Not too bad. So far, eight good martinis in three days. I'll take that. Uh, Back to the Mueller hearings, though. And we know what the... um, 
the, the general line of questioning is from the Democrats. They're going hardcore after obstruction of justice and basically trying to get Mueller to say if he wasn't president that he would have been charged with obstruction of justice and fully prosecuted for that. The Republicans are trying to point out that the scope of the investigation was skewed from the get-go and that there's a whole lot more about how this got started that stinks to high heaven and Mueller should have investigated that too. So the one thing that we've heard very little about today, but Mueller has actually stressed a lot in his report and in uh, his testimony and in his statement uh, a couple of months ago, is the threat posed by Russia towards our democracy and our elections. Now, we have no evidence that they actually changed the results in 2016, but he's very concerned about the influence they can have on manipulating people's opinions or other aspects of how they can tap into social media networks and that sort of thing. So other than Zoe Lofgren today, uh, the long-serving Democratic congresswoman from California, no one that I've heard, and I haven't heard at all, but so far she's the only one who's even mentioned the fact that uh, there's still a threat posed by Russia and perhaps other bad actors towards our elections next year and beyond. So, Jim, the original premise of this investigation isn't something that either side seems to care a whole lot about right now. Yeah, I was going to say, like, when Mueller did his press conference back at the end of May, he said, this is the most important message you should take from this. And it was not the most important message that everybody took from it. (laughs) You know, that the fact that there's been comparatively so little discussion about the first section compared to the second section indicates that the interest of most Democrats and most of the media, and a lot of people are probably saying, Jim, you're repeating yourself there, (laughs) is how do we get rid of Trump? How do we get Trump out of office? How can we get the orange man bad? How do we get him to go? And, you know, much to the frustration of these people, we are getting closer and closer to the 2020 election. And the American people, the closer we get to the 2020 election, feel like it would be silly, entirely separate from the issue of would you ever get anywhere near two thirds of the votes in the Senate? I think it's pretty clear. No, you would not. In the meantime, Russia hasn't gone away. The possibility of Russian meddling in the presidential election or in other state elections, other elections overseas hasn't gone away. Um, The possibility of social media mischief disinformation and things like that, things that I was discussing earlier this year over in Austria, none of that's gone away. And look, yeah, I get it. This is the House of Representatives. The House Judiciary Committee is not, you know, let's say, if you've got somebody who's really passionate and a bit of a weirdo, they tend to end up on the House Judiciary Committee. The Republican members are grumbling here, but come on, let's just look at the Democratic side. Jackson Lee, the, the gentleman, uh, Hank Johnson was the one who thought the Guam was going to tip over. Okay. Like this, these are not the sharpest knives in the drawer. Okay. And so this, this, we should not be surprised that the questioning is often going to go in ridiculous situations, but, um, does anybody on that committee want to worry about the whole first section and this thing that exists as a menace and a problem separate from Trump? No, no, just Zoe Lofgren. Okay. Very revealing. Jim, I'm going to make another bold prediction. I know, I know, it's not uh, always good to make bold predictions, but it came true with the Mueller report. I think it's going to come true with the Mueller testimony. There's going to be virtually no minds changed after this hours and hours of testimony and perhaps days of testimony, depending on how many committees he's going before here. Um, I don't know. How brazen do you think that is? There was this entire attitude of the Democrats that if if we just put it up on camera, if they just see him saying these things, people will feel differently. Now, look, Cable networks are covering it live. They'll probably do it all day long. But uh, I, you know, first of all, you wouldn't want to do this in the middle of summer when people are on vacation. And two, you'd probably like to have some sort of news hook. You know, I said old Washington hand once told me, you change the perception of something by changing the reality of something. Nothing has changed about the reality of Mueller's findings. And as a result, I don't think you will see uh, the perception of, of uh, Mueller's findings to change all that much at all, Greg. 
I don't think so. I think it's baked into the cake at this point. That's pretty much where we've been from the get-go. There's not a lot of budging when it comes to what people think of Trump or the investigation. That's been very consistent all the way along. But, uh, Jim, always good to be together. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Actually, I won't be here tomorrow. I have uh, a work assignment, but uh, other Greg. Greg Knapp will be here in my place, and uh, Jim and Greg will take care of the three martinis for Thursday. But until then, go to LendingClub.com slash martini, check your rate in minutes, and borrow up to $40,000. That's LendingClub.com slash martini. Tune in again Thursday. I'll be back on Friday on the Three Martini Lunch.